going to talk about the great question. What are we going to do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Uh, we're, we're in this, this crossroads series, this theme that we've been exploring, and we've spent some time already looking at some critical moments where Jesus made decisions. We talked, remember we started with the, the upper room moment where Jesus was there with his disciples, and he was in the process of being betrayed, and, and he paused to talk about how, you know, his body was going to be broken, and he... And he said, this Passover that we, we, are, we are about to share, it, 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 I want you, when you pick up that bread, to, to understand that it's my body that's going to be broken for you. He already is aware of what's happening. And that cup, as you drink it, and you see the redness of the, of the wine in it, the fruit of the vine, remember, this is my blood that's going to be poured out for you. And so he's already aware of it. Anyway, we know what happens. Judas betrays Jesus. He goes, and, and he's going to lead a contingent of, of the soldiers and the religious uh, authorities to where he knows Jesus will be. Jesus and the disciples leave the upper room, go outside of the city gates, down into the valley of the Kidron, up to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. You can still go to today. He's there. Ultimately, it's where he prays the prayer. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible, uh, if there's another way than having to go this way, I would rather do that. In his humanity, he didn't want to suffer and die and be utterly humiliated, and yet he knew that was the path he had to take. And he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we know that whole moment, and he's arrested, and they come and they, they bind him like a lamb being led to the slaughter. And Judas, of course, kisses him and betrays him with a kiss, his friend, friend. And then we know what happens. Jesus is taken, and he's brought to the house of the two high priests, or the one who had been and the one who was now serving. Annas and Caiaphas, and he's interrogated, and he's put through this kind of like a mock trial, and he's, he's beat up a little bit and uh, pronounced guilty and guilty of death. The only problem is at that time, as, as some of us are aware, Israel was ruled by Rome and didn't have authority to, to kill anybody. They were basically told two things. You need to pay your taxes, and uh, you're forbidden to do anything resembling capital punishment. That has to go through Rome and Rome alone. But they were given a tremendous amount of autonomy. I mean, as, as far as conquered peoples were concerned, uh, the Romans had given uh, the, the, the Jewish people and the people of the region they called, and it's a name we still use today. It was Rome who came up with this name, the region of Palestine. That that region was historically noted for being an absolute hotbed of rebellion and very difficult to rule. When someone was actually placed there by Rome, they knew that they were being put in a position that could make or break their career. That's going to be a part of Pilate's dilemma. But anyway, what happens is they end up, they end up coming to Je with Jesus to Pilate's house. Pilate has a couple of different residences. He's in Jerusalem at the time. Again, it's Passover time. People are coming from all over the world to celebrate Passover. It's heated. There's a lot of stuff going on at that time. I mean, it's already normally a very delicate situation in Jerusalem, even more so at a time like Passover when so many people are talking about the fact that they are an oppressed people. Here they are celebrating a, a, a holiday or a day in which they commemorate their freedom as a people, and yet they are clearly not free. And there's all of this bubbling over. And of course, in all of that, there is this tension between Jesus and the authorities. And they've made a decision. It's, they've got to get rid of him. They want him dead, but they can't kill him. So they come to the house of Pilate. They say, we have an urgent matter. They needed it taken care of before the start of the Sabbath and, and the Passover. 
so they, they had to have it done. It was of urgent, urgent um, you know, time, the time frame was, was narrow and small. And so they said, look, we, we, we need to speak with Pilate. We've got someone here who is a clear criminal. Uh, he's been trying to lead a rebellion. He calls himself a king. He isn't one. And so we need Pilate to come out and speak with us. Well, remember we talked about this. Someone must have gone in to talk to Pilate and say, you know what, there's a contingent of the leadership here. They need you to come out and speak with them. They have a criminal that they need dealt with right away. It's an urgent matter. They desperately need you to come out. They're asking you to do so. And he says, well, bring him in. Again, Pilate is a little bit ignorant of the fact that they had certain regulations and rules. And I imagine him being told as we talked about, well, the problem is they say they can't come into your house because you're a Gentile. And that would defile them. And so they are asking you to come out and speak with them. So Pilate, no doubt, goes out there a little bit irritated. He says, so what's the issue here? And they say, well, we've got this man who's a clear criminal. He needs to be dealt with severely. Pilate says, well, what are you wasting my time for, basically? Go ahead and try him yourself. They say, you don't understand. We've already tried him. He's already, we've already determined his guilt. We just need him put to death. We can't do that. Only you can do that. At that moment, everything changes. That's what sets up what we that first interview that we looked at last week. Paul says, fine. And they have Jesus brought into the praetorium, into, into his headquarters. And that's what initiates that first kind of communication. And where Pilate is looking at Jesus, and Jesus didn't look that impressive. Maybe a little bit puffy on his eyes. Maybe a little bit of blood dried. Not much. Roughed up a bit. Still pretty, pretty good condition. Wow, they say, they say you claim to be a king, the king of the Jews. Is that so? And Jesus says, are you saying this because you've heard of me and heard of what I've shared, or are you just basing your accusation on what my accusers have said? And then, of course, Pilate, we're told, he, he almost goes ballistic in just with that one question. He says, am I, am I, am I, do I, am I one of you? Am I, he goes, are you speaking, he basically says, oh, uh, as, as a Jew, am I a Jew? Am I one of your own nation and people? I don't know what you people do and why you do it. I don't understand the urgency. What have you done to get them so angry with you that they were willing to interrupt me and, and they want you dead. What have you done? I don't understand. I don't understand you people. Explain this to me. Are you a king or not? Are you leading some type of a revolution or not? This is the intensity of the question. Jesus, of course, makes that statement, right? He says, well, my kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, then my servants would fight but it is not a kingdom propped up with violence. No, the ones who have delivered you to me, they are guilty. But my kingdom is not of this way. It was an intense statement. I imagine Pilate and Jesus looking at each other in that moment. Again, Jesus has no followers. His most committed people, I mean, that are with him right now, his most committed people have abandoned him. He's by himself. He is utterly alone in this moment. And Pilate says, well, then you say you are, then you are saying you are a king. Is that right? Are you, is that what you're saying? You said, my kingdom. And Jesus says, you have, right, you have rightly said that I am a king. I am. For this, and then I love, for this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into this world to bear witness of the truth. And anyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And that's when Pilate asked that question. What is truth? 
What is truth? Everybody's talking about truth. What is truth? But then he says, but I find whatever else you are, you are not a guilty man. There's nothing guilty about you and there's nothing to be afraid of you. And again, I mentioned this. You may be a little deluded, but you're not a guilty man. He brings Jesus back out and says, you know, I, I find nothing wrong with this man. I don't understand. Now, what, one thing we know is that Pilate is extraordinarily sensitive to the delicacy of the situation. He may not understand the ways and the issues. He clearly doesn't. But he understands his assignment from Rome that his job, more than anything else, is to keep the peace. That his career path depends on his ability to keep things in order. When, if something breaks out, he'll be held accountable. And that is so important in the conversation that we realize that he knows he has to hold this thing together. He feels the pressure. Everything he's built himself for, his entire you know, life, his, his career, his path, is all determined on what happens. I mean, it was a risk to be in Judea. You because it was so easily a problem area. It could make or break you. Pilate is having this conversation. On the one hand, he doesn't believe Jesus is guilty at all. What king, king, is, king of the Jews? He, someone says to him, like, someone must have had a conversation. And again, here's another thing. If you take the accounts of John, which is what we're looking at, and then you also look at Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, each one of them kind of approaches this in a different way. John gives us the most detail about the conversation with Pilate. But Matthew and Luke also give us some details that we wouldn't otherwise have. And when you put them together, they form this beautiful tapestry. It gives us a very, like a mosaic, a picture that we wouldn't totally appreciate otherwise. We know that something happens. Somebody says to Pilate, you know, he's Jesus. I think he comes from Nazareth. We've heard that designation used, Nazareth. Then Pilate says, Nazareth? You mean up north, up north in the Galilee? Because they're down south in where Jerusalem is. And, and they say, yeah. And then Pilate goes, well, isn't that... Isn't that Herod's jurisdiction? Rome had set up a kind of vassal king who was far more familiar with Jewish culture, a, a guy named Herod. Not the Herod that was king when Jesus was born, but a different Herod. That Herod had a reputation for being somewhat callous and vicious. Jesus said he's a devious fox. He was the one that had John the Baptist's head cut off on a whim when someone danced for him. Anyway, Pilate, Pilate gets the, the, the idea. It comes into his mind. I know a way out of this thing. I can, I can get this off of my hands. I heard, I, somebody told me recently that, that Herod is actually in town to celebrate the Passover. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that is correct. All right, what I want you to do is take Jesus, Luke, 20, Luke tells us this, take Jesus and send him over to Pilate. Tell him, tell him my compliments. Because Pilate, uh, Herod had always wanted to talk with Jesus. In fact, we're told that he wanted him to perform. He had heard about his ability to perform miracles. And when Jesus arrives, Herod says, okay, show me a miracle. Show me your power. Do you know what happens in that interview? It's the only time in all of the scripture that Jesus is brought into contact with someone and asked a question that, that he refuses to answer. He's the only person ever recorded to ask a question and not get an answer from Jesus. He wouldn't speak to him. Wouldn't answer him. Slap him around some more and said, you're not going to cooperate, are you? Send him back to Pilate. And that's what happens. Pilate is, all of a sudden, Herod returns Jesus to Pilate. Now Pilate's got, a, got Jesus back on his hands. And so he has another idea. And it's mentioned here. 
You can see it. It says in verse 39, you can see John 18, 39. He says, we have a custom, this custom. What's that custom? What's that custom we have at Passover every now and then? It's used by Rome to, when the people are especially restless to celebrate Passover, the releasing of the prisoner. And we have a, how they were released. We have also a, a custom. We can release a prisoner as well. Well, we, we need to put Jesus out there. In fact, you know, who's that other man we have? That bat, the, the, the thief, the criminal we're about to, about to put out. What's his name? Barabbas. Bring out that Barabbas. Everybody despises that man. Put it, we'll, we'll do this. We'll tell the people. We'll, have, we'll put Barabbas on one side, and we'll put this, this Jesus on the other, and then we'll say, look, you get to choose. Which one goes free? Everybody will. This guy's a murderer and a thief and a robber and insurrectionist. Universally despised, everybody's going to say, obvious, so obvious, so right? So they, what happens is they, they start, they brought out the two of them, and all of a sudden, Pilate says, who do you want set free? Duh. And then he does something that shows how, a little bit how to, out of touch he is. Because he inadvertently uses a, a phrase that would instantaneously anger them. He says, who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews? Or Barabbas. They say, give us Barabbas. All of a sudden, this, the crowd starts yelling, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. He's not our king. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Every, the most surprised person in the world is Barabbas. <laughs> what a stroke. On his way, on death's row, on his way out, all of a sudden, who could have thunk it? Who could have thought it? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm going to be a free man. He doesn't know what's going on, how it's happened, but he's, all of a sudden, he's about to be let go. Jesus, on the other hand, it's, Pilate is, is, can't believe it either. What are you talking about? Barabbas or G, this guy? or G, How can you not want this man? How do you want? He doesn't understand what's going on. He's tried already three times, reasoned with them, sent Jesus over to Herod. Now he's tried to get Jesus set free by putting up the worst criminal he can think of right next to him. That doesn't work either. He's stuck. And I was thinking about Barabbas, the notorious criminal, and I thought about Jesus. And I hope we see it. But Jesus takes the place of the criminal. And I couldn't help but think that is a picture of everything he has come to do. Because that's what we are. At our core, I, at my core, if the truth were known, I, mean, I, I fail him. I have a heart that is capable of turning on him. Whether it's, you know, Jesus talked about how, how if we really wanted to be held accountable by the righteousness of God, that every idle word we speak would be held against us. Every time we got angry and treated another human being or spoke ill will or were unforgiving, yet alone stepping across lines that clearly grieve God. He, Jesus said, if you really want to get down to it, all the things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that were things done, things undone, sins of commission, things of, sins of omission, what I should have done and didn't do, envy and jealousy and pride, and all the things that are, I, I know at my core, there's a part of me also that is guilty. You know, I was reminded of a great verse in Romans 5, 8. It says, that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we, we were yet sinners, while I was yet Barabbas, Christ died for me. And one of the great verses of all, 1 Peter 3.18 says, and I love this because I remember it speaks about this, for Christ also suffered. We're going to see him suffer. Remember when he suffers, he, it was the just, look, the just 
for us, the unjust. That why? That he might bring us to God, pay a debt that wasn't his. And think about this, that being put to death in the flesh, that's the cross, he might be made alive in the spirit, that's the resurrection. It's all there. Now, Pilate, he's stunned. Bring, bring Jesus back over. And then he makes a decision, I've got to do something. If I don't figure out a way out of this, I know what I'll do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to have him flogged. I'll have him flogged. I'll have him scourged. Now, we, look, we read verse 1 of John 19. Look at that. It, it, we read it. It's, so, it's, it's stated with such simplistic, you know, uh, forthrightness. It's, we, we just read it and we run right by it. Oh, yeah, he was, he was, so Pilate decides to have Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip. He was tied to it. He was taken. His cloak was pulled off. He was tied to a post. Roman guards and Roman soldiers who were, who had done this so many times, they could do it in their sleep, told, go teach this man a lesson. He claims to be a king. So they tied him up. And with a lead tip, they begin to use a device that was designed to make a man suffer, to rip a person's back to shreds, and they did it. Some, historically, we know that some people died on the post. Others went ra raving mad. Jesus was, however, a man in his prime. He was a carpenter. He, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't injured to the extent that he, could, he couldn't survive, but he was hurt. He was wounded. Make no mistake about it. We should not minimize what he endured. His body was torn apart. And I know there's a little controversy around that film, The Passion of Christ, because people say, it's so bloody. I guarantee you that in this moment, it was a bloody moment. And the pain was real. I mean, it was, it was searing. It was scorching. It was throbbing. It was relentless, something he was forced to endure. And he was almost numb. No doubt, by the time they pulled him off, he was a little bit dazed. We know that. And then, and then if that wasn't enough of an indignity to be stripped down and torn up, we're told in verse 2, it says, The soldiers then wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a, a purple robe on him, Right? And they said, hail, king of the Jews. They mocked him as they slapped him across the face. You know, there was an unabated callousness to these Gentile Roman soldiers as well. They seized upon Jesus. They were told, they, when they were told to take care of this guy, they seized him like they were a band of jackals, humanity at their worst. Again, violent men. Maybe there was no sympathy. They had been thinking about it. Were, maybe some of them were... were drinking, cursing, whatever. I mean, it's like, he's going to have some fun with this guy. And they begin to just mock him and tear him apart. They taunt him. They laugh at him. The merciful, I was thinking about the merciful one, the one who had never done anything. He had not lifted his hand. He had been merciful. He had offered mercy. Not one ounce of mercy given to him in this moment. Nothing. Nothing. In fact, we know that the soldiers whose consciences clearly had, again, probably been blurred a long time ago, I mean, they, had, they were accustomed to violence. They, maybe they experienced a lot of stuff themselves. But when they all got together, they were having fun with Jesus. And, you know, I was, I've never forgotten, and we see this, this violent kind of vulgar, swearing, slobbering group of men just having their way with Jesus. 
having fun at his expense. And I remember the film that I, I watched when I was in, early, in my earlier years. It was made in the 70s. It was, 70s. It was called Jesus of Nazareth. And there was this one part in that film where I, I remember it always stuck with me because one of the soldiers is going, hey, hey, I got an idea. I got an idea. And he runs. He goes, hey, hold on, hold on. Because, see, when Jesus is un, unleashed off, the, off the, the pole, he can't barely stand. And they say, get the robe and put it on him, right? And there's the picture of Jesus just kind of there Barely able to stand up. He's got a robe. I hold him, hold him still. Let me, and then one guy runs across, gets the gets a thorn bush, he puts something around his hand, shapes it in. I got, I got a He's the king, remember? So he runs back over, sticks it in his Jesus is basically just hold, barely, and then it's like, hold him still, hold him still. And they take it, stick it right, put it on, stick it on him. Right here. And he's like, oh, oh. And then it's just coming down. It's coming down. Look at the king. Look at the king. Swing him around. Who hits you, king? Jesus is led back into the praetorium, right? Back into Pilate's room. And I, you know, I think Pilate, he thought, he thought Jesus was going to probably be roughed up and he would probably be in bad shape. He, Pilate probably was a little even caught off guard because he didn't, probably didn't expect Jesus to be walking in with a, pur- a purple robe and, and, a, and, a, and a thorn bush squished into his head in the shape of a crown. And that's the picture. And, 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 it, and, and, then, and then look what it says happens. It says that, that Jesus came out. It says, Pilate says, all right, all right, all right. Bring him out, bring him out here. And, and, and then he says, it comes out here. I'm, and then it's verse four. Pilate went outside. Now he says, I'm a, he says, now look, look, this and everybody, he says to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now. All right? He's nothing. Look at him. You have nothing to be afraid. I'm going to bring him out to you now. Look at this. It says here. And then I, I want you to understand, I don't see him as guilty. Um, and then Jesus is brought out. And, and basically what Pilate is saying is, look, are you satisfied? Is it you happy now? Come on. How can this man be a threat? Look at him. Behold the man. The man. That's the phrase. And when it says that when they saw him, it, again, instead of what Pilate thinks is going to happen, all of a sudden they start yelling, they start yelling, and everybody starts yelling, crucify him, crucify him. So the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting out, and they over the mob, it just takes on a life of his own. Put him to death, crucify him, finish him off. He's not a king, he's not our king. And then Pilate is clearly frustrated. You can see it, you can hear it in his words. He says something that nobody in his position should have ever said. He says, no, no, just take him yourself and crucify him. I find no guilt in the man. Just do, do, do your deed yourself. I will not be manipulated into it. Now, for one thing, they could not do that. Only he could do that. But you can feel the frustration. I find him not guilty. And then they said something to him. Notice what follows next. By law, he ought to die because he claimed to be the son of God. 
He deserves it. At that moment, Pilate realized this is more than a political issue. This is more than a, this is a, a religious issue. He did not know what's going on. Now, earlier on, what's interesting, when you read, again, remember I told you how each of the Gospels gives a different little piece to it? In Matthew's account, we're actually told that Pilate's wife had a dream. And in that dream, she has this sense of foreboding. They're a very superstitious couple, evidently. The Romans were at times. And between them saying he claimed to be the son of God in that first interview when he was talking to Jesus about his kingdom and he says, I came to bear, I was born for this purpose to bear witness of the truth for this cause I have come. And what is truth? And Jesus and him were looking at each other and then his, his wife has this dream, says don't have anything to do with this just man. He's innocent, leave him alone. I had a very, because look, look at the phrase, it says here, when Pilate heard, look at verse eight, when Pilate heard this, what they said about him being, calling himself the son of God. Look what it says. He heard this. He was more frightened than ever. So in Pilate is now afraid. He's scared. He's, he's concerned that he's touching something here that bothers him. It's disturbing and frightening to him. And he wants to, get, he wants to get rid of Jesus. He doesn't want the responsibility. And so he does what is next. He has the, the second interview, which is the one, the, the last one. He... he he says, I need, I'm going to talk to you. And then he makes this statement, right? He says, look what he says. He says to him, bring him in. And then he asks the question in verse 9, where, where are you from? Where are you from? Who are you? Who are you? Where are you from? What are you? And again, at this point, again, in our minds, I see Jesus. He, what, he's, he's a mess. He's got, he's bloody and, and beat up and he's got a robe on and he's just got nothing. He's, who are you? What are you? What's going on here? And Jesus says in the scripture, says, we'll say, it says nothing. It says nothing. And then Pilate says, you're not going to talk to me? You don't care to answer me? Then he makes it, don't you know I have the power to release you or have you crucified? And in that moment, that one moment, Jesus shows a little bit. And he, he says, you have no power unless it is given to you from above. None. Those who have delivered you into my hands are guilty, but that does not exempt your guilt. They are guilty of the greater sin. But something about that, you have no authority unless it is given to you from above. Powerful, powerful moment. Look what happens next. And then it says that Pilate, at that moment, he, he just said, I, gotta, I have to release him now. Look at verse 12. And then and, and he says, he brings it back out. And he says, yeah, I'm going to let him go. And they then they play the big card. They go, if you, this was unheard of. Here they are subjugated people. Pilate's supposed to represent the interests of Rome and Caesar. They say, if you let this man go who claims to be a king, then you are not Caesar's friend. And you're supposed to represent Caesar. At that, he knows, he knows. He says, anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar, verse 12. And when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. And finally, he says, okay. 
He, Pilate sits down, we're looking at verse 13, sits down on the judgment seat on the platform. That's, that is called the stone pavement. In the Hebrew, it's called Gabbatha. And it says it was about noon on that day of the preparation of the Passover. Now Pilate is going to, now watch what happens. Pilate's going to get sarcastic. And they're going to, they're going to, they're going to like mess with each other. Watch this. Sets Jesus down, basically. As he sits on the platform, he points to him and he says, look, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? And then they said this, which no Jew would ever say, should ever say. No leader. But their hatred for him was real. In this case, we have what? We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Wow. What are you going to do? Who are you going to, who are you going to, what are you going to do, Pilate? What are you going to do? Pilate says, crucify him. And there it is. Quickly. Oh, you know what else happens? Pilate is so mad. He brings out a big bowl. It's not mentioned in John. He says, you all stay here. Brings out a bowl. Pours water. How has the water poured into it? Takes it in front of everybody. This is where we get this phrase from, by the way. He washes his hands. He says, I am innocent of this man's blood. But no water could wash away that choice. Jesus had a choice. He takes his. Pilate had a choice. He takes his. At the end of the day, listen, and we'll just move this very quickly because our primary purpose was to ponder this moment. At the end of the day, each one of us has to personally decide who Jesus is. You see that? We must decide at a personal level. What does Pilate keep doing? He keeps trying to defer to somebody else, find a way out. You know, get Herod, send him to Herod. Uh, you know, Barabbas, um, beat him up good. It, come on, you know, every, everything. Wash my hands. Nothing worked. You got to decide. Everybody has to decide. Who, he asked the question, by the way, in Matthew, what will you do with this Jesus? Who they say is the Christ? It's a question everybody has to ask, answer. By the way, if we decide, that question is going to do this. It's going to force us to think about things that pertain to our career. It's going to make us think about things that have to do with our life priorities. It's going to inform how we understand our true identity. It changes everything about the human equation. What we do with Christ matters. How we choose to embrace him when we truly do. See, Pilate was saying, I can't afford to give up my career for this. But there are going to be times where the Lord is going to require things out of us that it's going to, it's going to, it's going to force us to really think about how much we love him. We, many times we'll find ourselves in a job situation or in the in a scenario where we are really going to have to answer the question, am I going to go with Jesus on this matter and do what I know is right in his eyes or just going to play the game and take care of myself like everybody else? And there are times where God's going to ask us to forgive. There's going to be times where God's going to ask us to take the lesser place, the path that we don't want to take. It's going to affect how we, think, how we construct our life and what we truly believe is important. What we do with Jesus affects everything. 
It's designed to affect even how we see ourselves as one loved by God, loved to such a degree that he who gave everything for us held nothing back. Do we understand that? Do I understand that? The last thing I'll say is this, that when we follow him, it's going to require then a corresponding courage, right? A humility and a cross. At the end of the day, we all get to decide. Because a lot of times we're going to want to run away from things, but the Lord is going to say, if you're going to follow me, you've got to face this. There's times when we want to take the easy path, the convenient path. And, you know, I was thinking about Jesus. Pilate goes one way. Jesus goes the opposite way. Listen, they say this, you know, Jesus basically, if, if you really think about it, he gives everything for us, but it's going to cost us something. You say, well, isn't salvation free? Yes, it is. Can never buy it but it isn't cheap. It cost God everything. And he did not fail us. He did not fail us. I have failed him, but he did not fail us. He went all the way, all the way, all the way through it, took it all. Again, that image comes back. They played with him. Did it because he loves you and he loves me. And every now and then, we get to decide if we love him. Paul would ultimately say, I, cannot, I can never repay you for the debt I owe you, but I give you my life. And I seek to live it for you and to honor you in it. And I will contend. And if God, if you will have me, Lord, then I will follow you. With all of my flaws and weaknesses and sinfulness and pride, I will be found as yours because you paid everything for me. You love me. God gave us, listen, his best. You ever go to a show or a game or a, uh, some type of a conference at the end or when you come in the, at the door at the aisle, they give you a free little gift, a piece of memorabilia, a bag, a, a pen, something far more cool than that these days, I suppose. But it's all token stuff. God gives us his best, his best. Let's pray. Lord, we join with, with millions and millions of people, some who know, who have thought about it deeply, others who are just making the trek because they always have but we're turning our heart and our eyes towards you. In these next couple of weeks, Lord, we're gonna focus on your death. We're gonna celebrate what you gave, but most of all, we're gonna celebrate your, your love and your life and the life that you give. Lord, remind us again of what a precious, precious gift this is. And, uh, and help us, Lord, to then return to you as best as we can in our lives. And let that influence and affect how we live and how we love and how we we choose to confront things inside of us and how we work through and even how we deal with suffering and, and the unfairness of life and the brokenness of life and the relationships, Lord. We, we invite you into every place because you went, you went into it fully for us. And help us to, to also be a people of the cross when it's time to do it, to not be ashamed of you. I pray for your blessing, Lord. Give us courage sometimes to go your way even when it's the opposite way from what we want to do. You modeled it for us. We'll follow you. So bless our closing minutes. Bless us as we honor you in our time, in our giving, and, and, 
and in this song that we close with. Let it be the benediction of this moment. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Thank you.